working. It is working? Fantastic. Ray. Okay. If you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of 2 John, which is right after 1 John, and probably just one page. I'll read it. To the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Father, thank you that we can sing, Behold our God who is seated on his throne this morning because you have revealed that to us in your word, in all the truth that is written in these scriptures. And we who have been called, we read, we hear, and we believe, and we know that you are seated firmly on your throne. And we know that you have sent your glorious Son to be our Redeemer. So this morning we, we open this truth again to look into it. And we ask that you would glorify Christ through it this morning. Amen. Now this letter is the second of three written by John that we have here in our Bible. Of course, we have the Gospel of John and then the three, first, second, and third John. Hopefully recall, Pastor Joe taught through first John, finished up about three years ago, 
that book has over 300 verses, and this morning our entire Second John has just 13. What is typical, it would seem, of many readers of the scriptures, even those who carefully study, is they read quickly through Second and Third John, since they are just personal letters, almost like the end of a longer epistle, saying, remember to do this or that, sort of like housekeeping issues. One excellent commentator on all the books of John, Robert Yarbrough, who actually did the study notes in the ESV Bible for these books, he starts off, this commentator, to this day, most churches could function a whole lifetime without second or third John in their Bibles and never miss their absence. Tongue-in-cheek, I assume. But one reason for focusing a sermon on this letter is because quickly skimming over it in favor of others is probably true for many in the church today, but all of the points made here are very important in this short letter. Now, 2 John, in many ways, is like a brief summary of several of the points made in 1 John. Like 1 John, here he is deeply concerned about the false teaching of people who have seceded from the Orthodox Christian community. They have gone out, as 1 John says, and are spreading their false teaching around. So, we will sometimes be referring back to 1 John, and we might even consider this morning a refresher for 1 John after these three years. Here in 2 John, he is also very concerned about God's commands, the truth, and love amongst believers, which are ways of referring back to the obedience God requires that comes from faith. There is one important new theme here in 2 John, and it is the question of providing hospitality to these false teachers. That causes us today to think about how to engage not a typical non-believer, but one who claims to be a Christian and then twists the gospel. Now, in this short letter, John is very focused in his reasons for writing. The first part of the letter has him writing about truth and love and commandments and doing it a lot. He refers to the truth five times and love four times and commandments also four times in just a few sentences. Here he is writing to the elect lady and her children, who many would say is a euphemism for a church, but others would say is simply an elect lady and her children. But we are not going to argue that point this morning. Then John continues, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and be, will be with us forever. So truth. John is very concerned about truth and the lack of truth by those who have gone out from us. So he begins emphasizing truth and the love which flows from truth and that the truth comes from God and his commandments. 
So John's point will be to maintain the truth of the gospel and also to warn about perhaps its greatest enemy, which is the deceivers traveling about. Not atheists, but those who pervert the truth, claiming to be Christian teachers, but are actually deceivers. So what about truth? Recall one of the great ironies ever written about, Pilate speaking with Jesus. Jesus tells Pilate the very reason he has come into the world. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asks, what is truth? And he is speaking with the truth himself, the Son of God standing there. But Pilate is apparently clueless because he can hear the truth speak, that is Jesus, just like we can read the truth here in this Bible. But Pilate rejects the truth, and so do most people, especially the parts which don't go along with their man-centered world. So the truth is under assault in John's world and continues to be right up to today. Things like relativism, that's true for you, but not true for me. Taken to such an extreme today, a person may say, and has actually said to me when trying to focus on the gospel and what is objectively true, sky is blue for you, but may not be for me. So what is the answer to Pilate's question, which John records in his gospel? What is truth? For many today, seems like the correct answer is like trying to grab a greased pig when our culture is awash in describing things as fake this and fake that. We can probably add to our vernacular of relativism, besides true for you, not for me, we can add, fake for you may not be fake for me. We know we humans, we have a foundational problem regarding truth. Since Paul, he tells us how we deal with truth. We suppress the truth. We deny our creator. Don't thank him. We are foolish and futile in our minds. And so, so God gives all up to our own evil desires. And why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's our starting point for truth as humans in God's world. But the answer to the question, what is truth, should be clear to us who believe this Bible is true since it says a lot about it, not suppressing it, not denying our creator, like First John. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In our letter here this morning, John speaks of those walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father, so the real truth, God's truth, includes the standards he has established for us in his commandments. 
But of course, it's not just about Ten Commandments. Jesus made it clear that he came into the world to bear witness to the whole truth. And so Jesus can say, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free, free from sin and death. So if a person wants to know truth, ultimate life and death truth, salvation truth, one must listen to Jesus and abide in all his word, believing Jesus when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, he is the truth. This Bible, according to James and to Paul, is the word of truth. The Holy Spirit, he is the spirit of truth who guides the apostles into all truth. And the only way to truly worship God himself is in spirit and truth. That truth, John says, is in us by an anointing from the Holy One. And there is only one way to live, and that is to walk in the truth. And we must take the truth, the word of God, and use it as a sword against the devil. And so we must carefully guard the truth, as Paul tells Timothy. So the focus on the foundation being truth is important, since again, this letter begins with John saying to the elect lady, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us. So he loves the elect lady, and the way he loves her is in the truth, and also loving her are those who know that same truth. And then John binds these two together, truth and love, in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So the truth of God, the love of God, the grace and mercy of God resulting in our peace with God. Enmity with God exchange for peace with God for each believer when faith and repentance are real the cross of Christ has been embraced for the forgiveness of their sin. So truth and love are essential. But how do we balance them as we live in our culture, balance them as we hold fast to the truth? We know we must be loving in the way we speak truth. In today's world of many triggers, a person who writes like this from 1 John, many would say is not writing in truth and in love, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Of course, there is a tension in the scriptures between standing for the truth, speaking the truth, and doing it in a loving way. But the most loving person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, spoke only the truth. Sometimes he decided to speak truth like this, as he did to the Pharisees, who were basically false teachers. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, 
which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Contending for the faith, what is true, that is ultimately loving. And today, with the truth under massive attack, it is harder than ever to contend for the faith without strong opposition. Why is that? But what is truth? Truth is the body of facts of true statements. And true is what is factual, what is real. And since today there is great difficulty in our culture to agree with what is true and not fake, what is reality or what is relative, then the true in truth is in great danger. And thus, many questions about life are dealt with by invoking relativism, each having his own truth as he decides it to be. So we must stand firm on God's truth in love. As one man said, love without truth is hypocrisy. It's not truly loving someone. But of course, truth without love is full of pride and can be brutal. Now John brings in that word he is going to use a lot for such a short letter. Commandments and their relation to the truth in verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So he refers to the lady's children, and he is really happy about the situation. Some of the children are apparently believers and walking with Christ. So in this short letter, again, John is repeating a few things from his longer 1 John letter from chapter 2 about Jesus. By this we may know that we are in him, whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So in 2 John, here he is rejoicing greatly about children walking in the truth. That's the same word the father of the prodigal son uses when he says, we got to rejoice, my son's come home. And we parents, we can relate to that rejoicing should we find our children and other children, of course, walking in the truth. So here John goes from one knowing the truth to one doing something with it, and that, of course, is walking in it as commanded by the Father. Illuminating the deeper meaning of that metaphor for walking as the Father commanded is Paul. When he writes, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if her children or our children or any children are walking so we can rejoice like John does here, it's because they are walking by the Holy Spirit living in them through new birth. And we adults, we are children of God, of course, only walking correctly if it is by the Spirit in that same truth. And then John goes on to address the lady herself. And now I ask you, dear lady, 
not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So John turns from his greeting and writing about himself to addressing the lady, and he asks her to love one another. Not a new command, but one from the beginning, from the beginning of her Christian life as a true believer. This command to love one another is new in its effect on the lady, not newly given by God. God had already given the commands in the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These Jesus basically repeats himself when the Pharisees asked him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus saying, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This new commandment of loving one another, which we have had since the beginning of our saving faith, how important is it? Paul says it best. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So here in 2 John, he tells the lady the commandment is to love one another, and the love is to walk in his commandments. That may sound a bit circular, but we can certainly agree observing all the Lord's commandments results in ultimately loving each other. So once again, in our refresher this morning, we can recall 1 John in chapter 2. Whoever keeps his word in him Truly, the love of God is perfected. So walking like Jesus is loving our neighbor. Jesus told his disciples his new commandment was to love one another just as he loved them. If you're sick, I'll pray for you. If you're hungry, I will feed you. If you have a need, I'll try to meet it. I'll rejoice with you when you rejoice and weep with you when you weep. I'll be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. If my fellow believer is wandering from the truth, I'll try to bring him back and save his soul from death. If he is really in sin, I will challenge him. If you don't know Christ, with gentleness, I will correct you, and then perhaps God may grant you repentance. If you persecute me, I'll bless you, not curse you. I will not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now, after laying that foundation, focusing on truth, which is the foundation of love, and love, which is the fulfillment of truth, John turns for the remainder of his letter to something he is clearly often concerned about, and this is false teachers, deceivers. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. 
those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So John here this morning is going to write describing these deceivers and then tell the lady what to do about them. Of course, the scriptures are full of descriptions and warnings about deceivers, false teachers, who have been around forever since God first gave his word, and just as the world is today and will be until Christ returns. And John here tells us they have gone out into the world. They spread around the world like a cancer, like gangrene. So many warnings, so many times. Jesus himself, he warns. Beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And Paul warns, in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And of course, the little book of Jude is all about these warnings that these false teachers have crept in unnoticed. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God. And Peter's warning, confirming they have always been around, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Paul points to the main instigator of this false teaching, these false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguise themselves as apostle of Christ, being just like Satan, who disguises himself as an angel of light. So in this brief letter this morning, John does not give us a Jude-sized detail of the deceivers, what they say and do, he simply describes them here as those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he does so since he is going to the heart of the issue, the incarnation, and all it means. This deceit includes the humanity of Christ, denying he was a human person so he could die as a fully human person, a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And then by faith, we could believe on his sacrifice on our behalf for our sins and be forgiven. But we can also say it is a summary of more than that. Those who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh are ultimately saying he was not born of a virgin, but he was that he was not fully God and fully man with two natures, but he was, that he was not therefore a proper substitutionary sacrifice satisfying God's wrath, but he was, and he did not bodily rise from the dead as both God and man, but he did. So denying he came in the flesh as a man, as, as the Son of God, it would undo the atonement. And thus, we would be left guilty with God's wrath not satisfied, justice for us guilty sinners not served, we would remain under condemnation. 
saying what Paul says about salvation, but in the negative, we would have no hope and be without God in the world since we who were once far off would not have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. So here John is calling them deceivers and at the same time antichrist. For John, these antichrist deceivers are within the church perverting the gospel. First John gives us a similar test to identify these antichrists. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. In our text, John simply says the deceivers have gone out into the world. And 1 John tells us why in chapter 2. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So then, they were never really true believers. So then, John instructs the lady what to do about these antichrists. Verse 8. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Sounds very serious, losing your full reward in the resurrection. So how have they worked for what they might lose? Certainly they have not worked for the Lord to secure a reward of forgiveness and eternal life. That is the free gift of God embraced by faith by true believers. In John's Gospel, Jesus is questioned with, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And the answer from Jesus, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So the work is to believe in Jesus. And John is writing here to the believing lady and her children about resisting deceivers who deny the way of true salvation in Christ. So part of the warning is to not embrace that teaching which leads to death similar to many warnings to true believers, secured by Christ and never to be lost, yet warn not to stray from the truth in belief and practice, to not fall from your secure position, to tremble at the thought of it. But note also, John says to the lady, that you may not lose what we have worked for. So he is referring to all of them, we, a communal reference, working together in community so each may receive a full reward. So unlike 2 John, where the point is to exclude deceivers, consider how John is speaking the opposite in his next short letter, 3 John, praising them for taking in and housing, traveling, preaching, true brothers in Christ, working together for the truth, and in that, being like Jesus said, receiving a righteous person, and in doing that, will receive a righteous person's reward and giving them a cup of water 
they will not lose the reward. Then John writes to the lady about how to watch yourselves when it comes to the deceivers. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Sounds pretty straightforward. Focus on the teaching of Christ. But John says, don't go on ahead of it, rather follow it. That's the way Paul handles things many, many times. He declares, it is written, God's Old Testament written, when defending his truth-telling ministry. Paul tells the readers not to go beyond what is written. This was happening as John describes here in the first century. And it happened to the church prior to the Reformation. And later it happened in Protestantism, resulting in the abomination of liberalism. Someone you know even today how many evangelicals are embracing modern cultural doctrines on sexuality and thus doing just what John says here goes on ahead, or what some translate very nicely as innovating and not abiding in the teaching of Christ. Does that mean we don't ponder the truth, consider the truth, or sometimes even doubt the truth? No, because proper studying and mulling over the truth keeps us from, as John says, going on ahead of the teaching. I don't know about you, but when I ever, ever read this book and say, that is hard to believe, that is really true. It means there's something wrong with me, with my understanding, and ultimately studying it further, it always comes back to, no, actually that is true. So John here says to abide in that truth. What could say it better than 1 John? If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And now John comes to his final point, his main concern for the lady and her children. And here John is forceful and direct, revealing his deep concern. Verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That's strong language to the lady. But of course, unlike today, they had a more robust hospitality. Those traveling to teach and preach and evangelize stayed in homes. Jesus, he sent out 72 traveling disciples to stay in the same house, eating whatever they set before them. House churches were abundant. A very high level of hospitality shown to others. Note John even says not to give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked 
works. So that sounds counter to love for an enemy, counter to what God is like, kind to the ungrateful and wicked, even to just greet him. So one can get into trouble applying it to today, saying, I should give not even a greeting, and that can turn into how we might treat non-believers, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and others. But for John, a greeting is not just a hello with some polite conversation. A Christian greeting in this age of hospitality was not just between human beings, but between brothers and sisters as fellow believers. There is a huge difference between engaging and accepting. Here in John, these are persons who are apparently claiming identity in Christ, but distorting the gospel. Is that not the worst of the worst? When I speak with people at Venice Beach, and one guy says, God's name is Zorp, and he speaks and teaches as he travels the universe. I am not offended, nor is the gospel. When speaking to those who are pure naturalists, the gospel counters their evolutionary word, world, but I am not dismayed knowing God has not yet granted them repentance, giving them knowledge of the truth. But when I speak to someone who is a regular churchgoer and they tell me that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and they are probably going to heaven, but then they're not sure what the cross of Christ is really all about. And by the way, also they do good things for God as he balances his scales for their salvation. Then my dismay rises because it's clear they are sitting often in church, but do not realize they may be in danger of eternal fire. But then, when it comes to a teacher or preacher or church leader who reads from a Bible and distorts the gospel, when they claim the name of Christ, but then tell you clear biblical sins are somehow not really sinful, that Jesus came to give you an abundant material life to get big only when you think big or when they allow people living in obvious sexual immorality to be part of leadership then I'm more than dismayed it's a rising anger because these distortions of the gospel within the church are given to many who are looking to them to live out and to teach them the truth and if millions are ongoingly listening to these deceptions, it is a sign of no depth in their understanding of this word. Has the culture simply infected them in the church? The word does not abide in them. Does the life of the Holy Spirit even abide in them? Ultimately, these untruths lead us away from Jesus Christ from him as our savior, from the truth about him, that is the core of the deceiver, the antichrist, and that is their wicked works. And so, John ends this short, short second John letter as he began it 
He says he has written all he wishes, but he hopes to come to the lady and see her face to face so that our joy may be complete. And in that small phrase, he gives away his love for community that loving in the truth brings. At the beginning, John said he was rejoicing greatly to find she had children walking in the truth. That was the reason for his joy. And so he hopes it to be when he comes to see the lady, see them walking in the truth. We know John gets his joy from that because right on the next page, in 3 John, he greets them with this. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. So what is John feeling? John is experiencing joy in these letters, seeing the result of all this gospel truth-telling, real obedience walked out in the community, but then warning about deceivers trying to ruin that. Meanwhile, Paul, Paul's road to joy seems pretty difficult. He rebukes the Corinthians for their sinfulness, calling them to stay faithful. And even though Paul had been in physical torment, beatings, imprisonments, riots, he makes it clear in his writing to them saying, I am filled with comfort. He says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And why? Because the result, by God's grace, of all Paul's truth-telling is this. Titus told Paul of their repentance they're turning to follow the truth, in fact, the obedience of you all. That is Paul's overflowing joy. So John and Paul are joyful when from all their efforts at maintaining the truth of the gospel at all costs, they see the people are walking in the truth as God gives hearers faith and by all those efforts delivering this word, many of us are walking in the truth, and we love those apostles for it. Speaking of that, so is your pastor. Like those men, I can guarantee you he too is overflowing with joy when he sees the result of all his gospel truth-telling. He sees people truly embrace and walk in the truth so I guess if we want to love him, we should show him that love by walking in that truth he tells us. And yes, a lot of that would be good if it's real, Holy Spirit-inspired obedience. But that's not the only way to love our pastor or any pastor. A really good way to love your pastor is by listening to him. That's how we can really love him, because he tells us the truth. Like Paul does, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And the result is Paul's great joy. Our pastor labors to deliver the whole counsel of God, his great joy. God didn't speak out loud to his son in front of others too often. But when he did, important. On the mountain at the transfiguration, what did God say to them? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
Listen to him. Listen to Jesus because he is telling you the truth. Is that not the most loving thing the apostles did and the pastor can do, tell you the truth in love? That most loving act, like John to the lady here, whom I love in the truth, the truth told in love. The whole counsel of God, unvarnished, unadulterated, undiluted about our sin and our death and Jesus and the cross and forgiveness and obedience that comes by faith. So really, really, really love your pastor by giving him some of that overflowing joy, listening to him. I could not resist saying those things. So as we close, let's say again, John tells the woman not to accept the deceivers, the antichrists. And so we also must defend the gospel really at all costs. Easy to say, hard to do. We should not defend ourselves when insulted for the gospel, when persecuted for declaring the truth, declaring Jesus, rather turning the other cheek. But we must defend the gospel when it is attacked when, as Paul says, a different gospel is brought by those who want to distort the gospel of Christ. If we, as believing Christians in the body of Christ, are not doing that as we live for our own sake and the sake of others to do as John and love in truth, then who will? Paul writes to Timothy about walking in the truth as a community, the church, which he calls the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then he tells us this. This is who we are, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's who we are, the pillar, the buttress of the gospel, the truth, Without us in the battle, no pillars, no buttress, no truth, no real church, no real spiritual church. Father, thank you that you have delivered your word once for all. Lord, to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have given faith to us to read it and believe it and know it's true. The very words of God himself. The power of God unto salvation. Therefore, the only way to be saved, to be right with God through your glorious gospel, spoken in truth, just as you have delivered it through your servants. So help us, Lord, help us to know it, to revere it, to savor it, to memorize it, to mull it, to love it. Let it be the very love of our life. So that, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of others, that we may fight. We may guard the truth. 
We may not guard it if we do not know it. So help us, Lord. Help us to stand firm in the midst of strong opposition. In truth and in love. Amen.